Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. This sermon is entitled Numa Part 3. What's up with speaking in tongues? Last week we looked at the three baptisms found in the scriptures, which were the baptisms of salvation, water, and the Holy Spirit. And we went into detail about the different examples of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, both in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And I believe that the Bible is clear that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a completely different experience than when the Spirit fills you at conversion when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, The biblical pattern for the believer is salvation, okay? You get converted to Christ, then water baptism as an act of obedience. And then that third stage, that third experience for the believer is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I told you last week that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 17 years of age. And remember, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and they had a cessationist view when it came to the gifts of the Spirit. And what that means is that they believed that the gifts of the Spirit ceased at the end of the apostolic age, which was when the last of the original apostles, disciples died. They believed that the gifts of the Spirit that the New Testament talks about, that they ceased along with it. And so I was not primed or set up to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit the way some teenagers are if they were brought up in a spirit-filled, charismatic, assemblies of God type of church. I wasn't that way. But when I was 17 years old, I started attending a Christian boarding school and a spirit-filled church. And during one of our chapel services, um, and they talked about every Friday we would have chapel, and during that chapel they talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so At the end, they called people who wanted to come up to the altar to come up. And so I came up to the altar and I was uh, asking the Lord to, to, you know, to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I was sort of praying these things back, asking God that I wanted to receive it. And while I was praying, the, the principal of my school came up beside me and he laid hands on me and he started praying for me. And as he started praying for me, uh, this overwhelming presence just welled up in me. I was filled with joy. And the next thing you know, I started speaking out in a language that I had not learned and that I had not ever heard before. And part of me was like, what on earth is happening? Another part of me was like, this is an amazing experience. I'm full of joy. I'm full of life, but I don't know exactly what's happening. But what was going on with me is that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit was praying through me, which is called speaking in tongues. And so that's what happened to me. And it was unbelievable. And just to let you know, it wasn't something that I made up or where I just repeated should have bought a Honda 20 times until it sounded like that. That's not what happened to me. It was real. It was genuine and it was an authentic experience. Now, I was still in control of my body because some people that they think that they have to be out of they have to have an out of body experience and they're being controlled like a puppet. But no, I was still in control, but I was allowing this language to come out of me. And I like what Dr. Jack Hayford said 
uh, about speaking in tongues but still being in control. He said this, the exercise of spiritual language does involve a conscious choice to allow God's assistance to transcend our own linguistic limits, but it does not surrender to any order of a mystical trance-like trip beyond oneself. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives you the words, but you have to, by your own will, okay, speak out those words that the Holy Spirit is giving you. And so from that day on, I've prayed in tongues pretty much every day. In fact, I was praying in tongues during worship quietly to myself before I came up to preach. And even though I had this amazing experience when I was 17 years old, there were people in my life who were very close to me who were concerned about this. They didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues, and they didn't believe in it, to be quite frank. And they shared those concerns with me, trying to convince me to stay away from that type of teaching and that type of experience. And so here's what I've come to understand concerning the Holy Spirit. People aren't opposed to the Holy Spirit, okay? What they're opposed to is the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, okay? And the biggest, most controversial manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the one that gives the people the biggest problems is the manifestation of tongues, okay? And so that's what I want to discuss this morning because I wholeheartedly believe in tongues. I wholeheartedly believe that it is scriptural. But the problem is that many spirit-filled churches, they don't talk about it. They don't teach about it. They don't get into the Word and see what the Word says. They just, it's just all experiential. And that's when, you know, some things can be weird. Some things can get out of whack. And they don't have any sort of biblical foundation or framework. And so what I want to do is I want to give us a, a framework for the Holy Spirit, a framework for tongues that's grounded in the Bible. And so this is not a message that is going to be a hooping and hollering type of message. It's going to be more of a teaching, okay? But I think it's important because I want to lay a groundwork and a framework for, for, um, for the whole notion of speaking in tongues. And so we generally have two camps when it comes to speaking in tongues, and maybe you will fall into one of these two camps when I describe them. One camp makes the Holy Spirit all about speaking in tongues. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit as our guide. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit as our friend. They don't speak about the Holy Spirit as, as our teacher or our helper or our comforter. All they think about when they talk about the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And, and, and they have this, they, they project that if you're not speaking in tongues, there must be something spiritually wrong with you. Uh, they make you feel like a second-class citizen of the body of Christ if you don't speak in tongues. And, and I think that this type of attitude is absolutely wrong and incredibly harmful to the body of Christ. And then on the other side of the pendulum, we have the other camp, who are completely and utterly freaked out about the idea of the Holy Spirit and this notion of speaking in tongues. Anytime they hear anything about speaking in tongues, they run to the other side of the room because they are freaked out. They've, they've heard about some weird things. They've seen some weird things on YouTube, and that's their whole idea and understanding of the Holy Spirit. So they want nothing to do with it because they're freaked out. They think that you are some sort of weird alien from outer space if you speak 
in tongues. They think that you're irrational, illogical, or flat-out gullible to believe that the gibberish coming out of your mouth could possibly be the Holy Spirit. And they believe that anyone claiming they have a prayer language has to be deceived. I obviously believe that both of these viewpoints are in error and very dangerous, and so I'm going to try and show you what the purpose of speaking in tongues is for believers today, okay? How many of you have ever heard a message specifically on speaking in tongues? Okay, all right, so I'm not speaking to people that have never heard anything on speaking in tongues before. Okay, so in order to understand the gift of tongues, we need to understand why the Holy Spirit gives us gifts in the first place. And so Paul, the apostle, tells us why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, starting with verse 4, and it'll be up on the screen for you to read along, and it says this, Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. But it is the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. Verse 5, And there are distinctive varieties of ministries and service, but it is the same Lord who is served. And then there are distinctive ways of working to accomplish things. But it is the same God who produces all things in all believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, which is the spiritual illumination and enabling of the Holy Spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit distributes or gives us gifts not so that we can lord them over anybody, not so that we can wow people by our charisma and wow people by what God can do in and through us, but to simply help one another. The Holy Spirit desires to give you gifts that will help you and others for the common good. Okay? He wants to give you good things because He's your friend. The Holy Spirit is your friend, and so He wants to give you good things that will help you and will help the people in your life. You know, when I'm buying a gift for a friend, right, I don't go into it thinking, let me find something that they would absolutely despise, okay? I don't do that. When I'm buying a gift for a friend, I think about what interests them, okay? Uh, do they love the outdoors? Do they love movies? Do they love sports? What, what do they like? Do they like clothes? What interests do they have? I think about what would be useful or practical for them. I think about what the person would enjoy receiving, not what that person would absolutely hate. Okay? In the same way, our friend, the Holy Spirit, does not give gifts to scare us or hurt us, but for our good. And one of his gifts is the gift of speaking in tongues. Another thing we need to understand if we're going to receive all that God has for us as believers is that there are two uses when it comes to tongues in the Bible, okay? There is a public use of tongues, okay? And there is a private use of tongues, okay? It's, it's, they're, they're both a part of tongues, Right, But their uses and their functions are different. And this is something that we really, really need to get. And because people don't get these, the public use versus the private use, they get all confused about what Paul is talking about. They get all confused about what the Bible is talking about. And so we need to make this distinction at the beginning, that there is a public use of tongues 
and that there is a private use of tongues. And both of these uses are necessary, but their functions are different. That's why we'll read a chapter like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll read through that and we'll say, see, I told you Paul told us that we don't need to speak in tongues. It's because we're getting the public and the private mixed up as Paul is teaching us, okay? But I'm actually going to use chapter number 14 to prove to you that there is a distinction between the private use of tongues and the public use of tongues in a church setting. So when talking about speaking in tongues, you usually look at the book of Acts, and then in addition to the book of Acts, you'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists off the nine charismatic gifts and I think it's ironic that the first spiritual gift Paul lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the gift of wisdom. And the last spiritual gift that Paul uh, lists off is the gift of tongues and then the interpretation of tongues. Okay, and I think it's ironic because the Corinthian church was facing, uh, and many spirit-filled churches face the same thing today, that we embrace the gift of tongues without embracing the gift of wisdom. And that's what gives spirit-filled churches a bad reputation and a bad name. I think we need more wisdom in our use of the spiritual gifts. And so I think it's very significant and very purposeful that the Holy Spirit led Paul to list the gift of wisdom first and then the gift of tongues and interpretations of tongues last. Okay? The Corinthians were needing instruction on public worship because they were probably doing what some charismatic churches do now. They were tongue happy. And what I mean by this is that they were scaring visitors and they were scaring unbelievers that would come into their services because they were publicly speaking in tongues without any sort of interpretation and without any sort of order. And so when someone that was not familiar with church culture would come in, someone that was not familiar with spiritual things would come in, it would freak them out because they would hear all of these different languages, all of these different uh, uh, things going on without any sort of order, without any sort of explanation. And so it was scaring away people that were coming into the public church service. And what's often overlooked is that because this was the context in which Paul was writing about the usage of tongues, he approached it from the negative side, okay? And so this is often overlooked. But what Paul was trying to do is to preserve the proper use of tongues, not to throw it out. But people will read this, and they'll, they'll read it without seeing the context in which Paul wrote it, and they'll throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? But Paul wasn't trying to do this. He was trying to correct the church so that he could preserve all of the manifestations and gifts of the Spirit which, within the church because it was necessary. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 to do a balancing act between the public use of tongues and the private use of tongues. And so that's what we see in these chapters. And so as you'll be able to hopefully clearly see, Paul was not discouraging the use of tongues, but distinguishing between public and private usage of tongues. And so let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to start with verses 1. And two, and it says this, Pursue this love with eagerness, make it your goal, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church, but especially that you may prophesy to foretell the future, 
to speak a new message from God to the people. Verse 2, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people but to God. For no one understands him or catches his meaning, but by the Spirit he speaks mysteries, which are secret truths and hidden things. So point number one, when we use our prayer language or the private use of tongues, we are speaking to God. We're not speaking to man, we're speaking to God. Paul in verse 2 here is talking about a tongue that no one except God understands. Because when we speak in tongues, we're not speaking to man, we're speaking to God. Okay? So what do you say to the people that say Paul was telling the Corinthian church, uh, the Corinthian believers in chapter 14, that speaking in tongues had no value to the believer? Doesn't Paul say to desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy? Well, yeah, he does say that. And in verse 5, Paul actually goes on to say that the one who prophesies is more useful than the one who speaks in tongues. Okay? But if you think because Paul made these statements that he was in some way saying tongues has no value to the believer, then I think you need to reread 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because that is not what Paul is communicating here. Let's read verse 5 together. Now I wish that all of you spoke in unknown tongues. What does he say? I wish how many of you? All of you spoke in unknown tongues. But even more, I wish that you would prophesy. Why? The one who prophesies is greater and more useful than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless he translates or explains what he says so that the church may be edified, instructed, improved, strengthened. You see, Paul is not making a case for believers not to speak in tongues. He is making the case that if someone walks into a service and everyone is having a free-for-all, speaking in tongues without any sort of order or interpretation, they are going to freak out. They are going to be confused. They are not going to know what's happening in the service. And that's what he's saying because no one will understand or know what's being said. He's saying that when we're in a public setting, we need to speak in a language that everyone understands. You know, if from this moment on I started preaching to you in the Korean language, which I don't know, but if I did, if I started speaking to you in Korean language, what would happen? You guys would have blank, blank looks on your faces because you don't understand the language I am speaking in. And so because I'm speaking in an unknown language to you, everything that I would say from this moment on would, be, would not be beneficial to you because you're not understanding, okay? And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthian church. So how do I know that Paul isn't telling the Corinthian church and the church moving forward, including us, that speaking in tongues isn't profitable or necessary? Well, because he tells us. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19 says this, I thank God that I speak in unknown tongues more than all of you. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you combined. Okay? Nevertheless, in public worship, I would rather say five understandable words in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue which others cannot understand. So track with me here. So if Paul is telling his audience, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I thank God for it, but I don't in a public setting without an interpretation, when does Paul speak in tongues? In his private 
prayer life because he is speaking and communicating with God, okay? And 10,000 here is the largest number in Greek. And so Paul was probably using hyperbole here, meaning an exaggerated statement in order to make a point. He's saying it's more profitable in a public church gathering to say a few words that everyone can understand than to go on and on and on in a tongue that nobody understands what you're saying. Okay? In fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I do it in private because it's profitable for my spiritual walk, but not in church unless it's followed by an interpretation because there's no profit. There's no benefit involved because no one's understanding what you're saying. Then, just so that it's crystal clear, Paul brings his point home about tongues at the end of the chapter, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 39. Therefore, believers, desire earnestly to prophesy, to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people, and do not forbid speaking in unknown tongues. Can Paul be any clearer than that? He says, do not forbid anyone from speaking in unknown tongues, but in all things must be done appropriately and in an orderly manner. It's crystal clear right there. So here are the differences between the function of the public use of tongues versus the function of the private use of tongues, okay? The public use of tongues is for the corporate worship service immediately followed by an interpretation while our private use of tongues is for us to communicate and talk to God with, okay? Number two, the public use of tongues with an interpretation edifies the church while our private use of tongues edifies ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with edifying ourselves. You guys are here at church sitting in here listening to a message so that you can be edified, okay? And then thirdly, the public use of tongues needs an interpretation while our private use of tongues does not need an interpretation because we're communicating with God. We're not communicating with man. And let me say it this way. The public use of tongues followed by an interpretation is God communicating to his people, okay? Our private use of tongues is us communicating to God through the Holy Spirit, okay? This is why Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church that they should eagerly desire and pursue the spiritual gift of prophecy because everyone would understand what they're saying. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit utters mysteries through our prayer language that only God can understand. That's why he says you need to seek, you need to desire, you need to pursue prophecy in a public church setting, okay? Do do any of you have a really, really good friend that you can be in a large group of people and you can say something, you can make a comment, or you you, you can just have a look? And nobody in that group of people understands what you're saying, but that person understands exactly what you're saying. Any of you have a friend like that where where you don't don't have to even say it. You can just, like, give them a look. Or you can say one thing, and they know exactly what you're talking about. That's the kind of intimacy and connection that the Holy Spirit wants to have with us. He He wants us to know His heart, and He wants us to share with Him our That's the kind of connection and communication that the Father wants us to have with Him. Amen? So, why would the Holy Spirit need to pray through us? 
Why isn't it just enough that we pray to God? Why does the Holy Spirit need to pray through us? Because we're dumb. Because we're dumb. Because I'm dumb. Because you're dumb. Some are dumber than others. But we all have some dumbness to us, okay? And because there are times when we don't know what to pray for, okay? Have you ever been having your quiet time alone with God and, and, and you've been praying and, and then you come to this place where you don't, you don't know what else to pray for, but you still feel like you're supposed to be praying? Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Have you ever been told about a dire situation and you know they need prayer, but you don't know what to pray for or how to pray for? I don't know about you, but I've had that situation where I've been told some terrible, tragic news and I know I need to go into prayer. But to be honest, I don't have English words to pray. Okay? And it's in that moment that we need the Holy Spirit to pray through us. Okay? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is obviously interceding through us and the purpose is to help us when we are lacking in strength and do not know or understand how or what to pray for. Those of us who have a prayer language, when, and, and, when I, and I use these terms interchangeably, speaking in tongues and prayer language, okay? Those of us who have a prayer language, when we speak in tongues, when we don't know what or how to pray, I'm sure we have diverted oncoming disaster that we might not know about until we get to heaven okay maybe you were praying in tongues in your private quiet time and because you were praying god's will in that exact moment maybe a loved one avoided a head-on collision that you you didn't even know about maybe you were praying in tongues and because you were praying god's will in that exact moment someone in your life who was far from god had an encounter with god we, we don't know what may or may not happen as we're praying in tongues, but what we do know is that the will of God is being accomplished when we are speaking in tongues. Why else would we need this prayer language? Because we tend to get selfish with our prayers. We tend to get selfish with our prayers. I've asked this question before, but I want to ask it again. If God today, this afternoon after church, he showed up at your apartment, knocked on your door, you let him in, sits down on your couch, and he looks you in the eye and he says, hey, I'm going to answer every one of your prayers today. I'm going to answer all of the things that you've been crying out to me for, all of the things you've been begging me for, all of the things that you've been praying and praying and praying for. I am going, I am going to uh, I'm going to answer all of those things. If God were to come to your apartment today and say that to you, everything you've been asking, everything you've been crying out, everything you've been begging for, all of them are going to be answered today. If God answered all of your prayers today, would it change the world or would it just change your world? If God answered all of your prayers today, would it change the world or would it just change your world. 
Because if we're being honest, for many of us, only our world would change because all of our prayers are centered around us. All of our prayers are focused around us. How to make life more comfortable for us. How to make life more convenient for us. How to make life easier for us. And if God were to answer all of our prayers today, nothing would change in the world and everything would change with us. But when we pray in the Spirit, this passage tells us that we pray in accordance with God's will because it's the Holy Spirit praying through us. So point number one, when we use our prayer language, we are speaking directly to God. Number two, our prayer language is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My understanding of Scripture is that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is followed by speaking in tongues that becomes our continual prayer language. Okay, Acts 2, uh, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 10, verses 44 and 46 says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So how did the Jewish believers know that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles? Well, verse 46 answers that question for us. They were speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, look when Paul was in Ephesus in Acts 19, verses 6 and 7. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. See, there's a progression here, and it seems to me that speaking in tongues or receiving our prayer language was one of the signs that you had been filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So point number three, when we use our prayer language or private use of tongues, we are edifying ourselves. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church, promotes growth in spiritual wisdom, devotion, holiness, and joy. That word edify means to build a house. It means spiritual growth. It means to build yourself up. It means spiritual progress. As we pray in the Spirit, something of substance is being built in our spiritual lives. Something that will last. Something that will weather the storms in our lives. Prophecy is for the church, but our prayer language is for us to personally grow spiritually. And so every time we pray in the Spirit, we are getting stronger. We are getting more powerful. We are growing spiritually. We are progressing. We are moving forward. There is something of substance that is being built on the inside of us every time we pray in the Spirit. And so I want to encourage you today, if you have a prayer language, if you speak in tongues, I want to encourage you to speak in tongues as much as you can because the Bible says when you do that, you are edifying yourself. You are building yourself 
up. You are building something with a foundation that is strong, that when the storms of life come, you can stand firm because you have a foundation. You have a strong framework. What your house is built on can last and weather the storm. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. What's Ephesians chapter 6 famous for? Anybody? The armor of God, okay? And I want to show you something that you may have never seen before in this chapter. Paul in this chapter tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil, and then goes on to list the armor, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, Make sure you have the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then most people stop there, but Paul doesn't, okay? Look what he says after he lists the armor in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication, for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Praying in the Spirit is referring to our prayer language and is part of our armor as we protect ourselves from the schemes and strategies of Satan and his demons. Okay? You see, praying in the Spirit is a vital part of our spiritual warfare as believers, okay? I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I, we are in the middle of a war. We are in the middle of a battle, okay? There is a battle for good and evil all around us, surrounding us, and we need the armor of God in our lives. And Paul tells us that praying in the Spirit is part of that armor to, to, to help protect, uh, protect us from the schemes and the plans and the devices of the enemy of our soul. Your spiritual lives will go to another level when you get filled with the Spirit and start to use your spiritual language. Your prayer language is a weapon against the enemy. Paul included praying in the Spirit as part of God's armor for us. Let me ask you a question, and if I could have the worship team come up. Do you always feel beaten up by life? Are, are you constantly feeling beaten up, like you, you're, you're just a punching bag for life, that, that you just can't ever seem to get the benefit of the doubt, that you can't ever seem to get traction in your life? You, you, you seem, you, do you just look around and say, man, everybody around me, they have favor on them. Things seem to go their way. But I just feel like I always get the raw end of the deal, the bad end of the deal. I, I, things just never seem to happen for me, even though I see them happening for other people. Are you always tired and weary? Like you're in a constant state of tiredness and weariness. Now, I understand we get tired. We get weary. But do you feel like you're just in a constant state of tiredness and weariness? Do you always feel like you're on the defensive? Do you always feel like you are just reacting to what life is throwing at you? That you never seem to be able to be on the offensive? 
It would be like, I enjoy playing chess. And it would be like, in life, it always feels like you're always reacting to what your opponent's doing. And you never have an opportunity to strategize to take their king. Because you're constantly just reacting to what your opponent is doing. Do you feel like that? You're just constantly reacting and responding to what life throws at you. And you never can seem to get ahead of the wave. You always seem to be fighting from behind and you just can't seem to get ahead of the struggle. You you, you feel like you're in a boxing match, but you you never get to throw any punches because you're just constantly defending yourself from everything that's coming at you. You feel like that in your life? Just this constant state of tiredness this constant state of weariness. You never have energy. Anytime something good might happen in your life, you always find the negative part to it. Or you always feel like, yeah, this is good and it's happening to me now, but it's not going to last very long. And you psych yourself out and you can't even enjoy the blessings that are coming into your life because you've conditioned yourself to just believe the worst about life. Do you find yourself in that place today? You find yourself in a place today where you can't seem to catch your breath. You just seem like life is a sprint and you can't catch your breath so you can get strength enough to run again. You just feel like you're being forced to run and run and run and run and run and you feel like you're going to fall flat dead because you just can't stop running. Anybody feel like that today? If that's you, I know this isn't the only thing that you need to do, but maybe you need to pray in the Spirit more. Maybe you're not being built up enough. Maybe you are not edified enough. Maybe you are not strengthened on the inside enough. And so you're constantly just feeling like, I have to react to everything that life brings me. I'm just always tired. I'm always weary. I'm always expecting the negative. Maybe you need to start exercising your spiritual language more. Maybe you need to be more strategic. Maybe you need to, maybe you never heard that part of the armor of God is praying in the spirit. Maybe you never heard about that. And now that you know it, you can use it to not only defend yourself, but to unleash an attack on the enemy yourself. Instead of always just responding, now you can, you can start gaining some traction. You can start gaining some land. You can start moving into some territory that God has for you instead of constantly responding to what's happening to you. And as I was preparing this message, this is what the Spirit spoke to me about some of you. I don't know who it's for, but I think it's for somebody here. Some of you aren't taking ground because you're constantly taking shelter. Some of you aren't taking ground because you're constantly taking shelter. You're constantly hiding in the foxhole from the, from the bombs, from the missiles, from the rockets that the enemy's throwing at you. And you're constantly hiding. You're constantly running for cover. And because you're constantly running for cover, you can't engage in the things that God has for you. You can't 
You can't proceed into the things that God has for you. You can't move forward into the things God has for you because you're constantly ducking. You're constantly avoiding. You're constantly like that. You're constantly in a defensive posture. And God is saying to you today, I have given you a heavenly language to build yourself up so that you can stand against the strategies, so that you can stand against the plans and the tactics of the enemy, so that you don't always constantly have to be in a defensive posture, but you can go forth and take the territory that God wants to give you. Maybe there are some spiritual attacks in your life that you aren't presently fending off because you are not speaking in your prayer language. And maybe God is saying, I want you to access that gift that I have for you so that you can fend off those attacks that, that are just coming at you nonstop, 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 nonstop. I have given you a source of protection, but you're not taking advantage of it. And if you have not ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and if you have not ever received the gift of prayer language, I want to tell you that today you can. Okay? Today you can receive. All you have to do is ask. It's a gift that you receive by faith. And gifts are always received. So all you got to do is ask. Ask Jesus to baptize you in the Spirit today. Ask Jesus to give you that prayer language so that you can have another weapon in your arsenal to fight against the enemy. It's simple. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It's not complicated. It's just, Jesus, fill me with your spirit today. Give me my spiritual language today so that I can communicate to you in that language, so that I can edify myself, so that I can build myself up, so that I have another weapon in my arsenal to go after the enemy with. And it's as simple as that. And you might receive it instantaneously or you might not. And there's no pressure. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean you have some sort of sin in your life. It doesn't mean that God loves someone else more than you. It simply means that you need to ask again. And at some point, I believe that you're going to receive it. If you believe in faith, that you're going to receive it. Just like I received it. When I was 17 years old and I was at the altar and I was praying and my principal came up beside me and prayed and I felt that overwhelming sense of his presence and outflowed my spiritual language and I've been praying in tongues ever since. And I want to say this, I, I speak in tongues, but I'm not weird. I speak in tongues, but I'm not this wacky, weirdo person that, that freaks everybody out. Some people, man, they, they get filled with the Spirit and some sort of weird, crazy thing comes out of them. And I'm thinking, that is not the Holy Spirit. So I don't know, maybe there's somebody that's scared of what's going to happen. But like I said, the Holy Spirit, tongues, they don't like possess your body and take it over. You're, you're still in control. But you do have to speak out what is flowing inside of you. So let's pray.